0: Hello and welcome to West Indies on 99.94, Cricket Every Day. My name is Marshall St. Patrick, who at one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And with me as ever, Santoki Aguilendran, the other half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. West Indies on 99.94 is your new home for West Indies cricket content. And we'll be dropping into your podcast feed on YouTube or on the 99.94 app several times every week. So rate, review, like, share, subscribe, you know what to do. And thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Yes, yes, Santoki, today on West Indies on 99.94, we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at 2023, Santoki, We're, we're two days into the new year, we can put, we can put 2022 behind us. Let's look ahead to 2023. Santoki, what are we saying? The rise of West Indies cricket this year. Yes, yes, yes or no, Santoki. Take it away.
1: So why why are we doing this to ourselves, Mashal? <laughs> I feel like, you know what, though. 2022, I feel like it was a mixed year. The first half of the year, we had a, a series win against England, series win against Bangladesh. Nicholas Buran took over as uh, white ball captain. There was a sense of optimism. However, in the last six months, that has all crumbled away with defeats across all formats, um, which, as you know, spread it's, <laughs> it's a negative mood throughout the region. So we're going to look ahead to 2023. Dean, what, what would we determine to be a success for West Indies cricket in 2023? And what do we expect to happen? But I think, Mash, I think the overriding theme of 2023 is not just for West Indies cricket, for world cricket as a whole. It just feels, you know, there's always been a looming threat of franchise cricket taking over from international cricket. And you just get a sense with the UAE T20 league starting in about a week's time, South African T20 league starting again later this month. And a whole host of West Indian players Featuring in those, you just feel 2023 is going to be a pivotal year in terms of this balance between franchise cricket and international cricket. And you just feel West Indians, West Indian as a, as a team will
0: suffer the most. Yeah, 100%. And it's weird because really and truly, maybe we should have titled this episode, What Does Success Look Like for the West Indies in 2023 to 2027? Because we could do this episode at the start of 2024, 2025, 2026. And it's probably the same message that we're actually saying. So really it's about what's the next four years look like in, in the future tours program with regards to, I don't even want to call it the looming threat of T20 cricket, but just the reality, the reality, the financial reality of the global market. And oh, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like our, the, the, the whole Snell Manthorpe, et cetera, on uh, South Africa on uh, 99.94, they're having the exact same conversations that we're having but 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 really and truly you could say it's the same show because the same threats that South African cricket faces, the same threats that we face. But that notwithstanding, Santolki, if we put T 20 to, to, to the side um, for one second and and look at West Indies cricket, and let's try and pretend that international cricket still has primary say in the cricket calendar, what does realistic success? look like for the West Indies in 2023. And I think, Santoki, let's go first and foremost. Let's start with the, the the test series because people still love to pretend that's the pinnacle of cricket for everybody. We go to Zimbabwe in a month. In fact, this month. We go to Zimbabwe this month, later this month, then South Africa, and then India come in the summer. What's realistic, Santoki?
1: I think realistically, fans will be expecting a 2-0 win against Zimbabwe in uh, February, however realistic that is. Considering... Despite the loss in Australia, we still had a pretty good year in test cricket. So you'd expect West Indies to get the win. However, Zimbabwe is a very tough place to go. We've only toured there, I think, five times in the last 22 years. And they've also recorded, you know, players like Gabby Balance and you've still got Sikander Raza in the side. So I think realistically, looking at those six tests, I mean, I, I think you'd have to be borderline delusional to think we'd get any results against South Africa or India. And that's not an insult on the West Indies test team. It's just realistic. India and South Africa are a lot better, particularly the South African series, I felt like Jaden Seals would be our main threat on those pitches in South Africa. He's obviously been ruled out of that tour, so I think it's going to be very, very tough. So I think me personally, a successful year would be a series win against Zimbabwe and then South Africa or India, we play four tests. Maybe, maybe if we can get one miracle win in those four tests, however unrealistic, I think that would be, that would be for me the the most optimistic I could be, a a win against Zimbabwe in the series Um, and then perhaps one test where we Get a miracle victory either away in South Africa, which is I think unlikely, or home against India. You never know, but I think for me, two nil, two out of six tests, <laughs> as depressing as that sounds, would be a success for me in Test cricket in the context of who we're playing. Mash,
0: listen. Uh, the, the thing is, I'm the same as you. I think if we could pull off a victory in South Africa in one of the tests, I mean, arguably home versus India is more difficult than away versus South Africa. Arguably. If we pull off one victory from four tests versus between South Africa and India, I think that's a successful year. If we're going to be realistic about about the the kind of disparity between the two sides, given conditions and so on and so forth, right? So I think that's fair enough. But swiftly moving on, Santoki, we do actually play quite a bit of whiteboard cricket this year. So in that same South Africa tour, it's actually a full format or multi-format tour. We've got three ODIs, three T20s. Now, Santoki, <laughs> mathematically speaking, we can still make the main stage of the ODI World Cup. <laughs> but but it, could, it could well be that by the, time you, by the time you pitch up in South Africa to play those three ODIs, it could well be that those are just warm-up games for the World Cup qualifiers. So let's, let, let's deal with the elephant in the room, Santoki. Are we going to make it to the ODI World Cup? In fact, there's three different scenarios I'm giving to you are we first and foremost going to end up in the ODI World Cup qualifiers? And if we are, do you think we have the capabilities to get out of those qualifiers to even get to the ODI World Cup in the summer, Oh, sorry, later in the year? Or can we feasibly, Santolki, look at a situation where in the summer... Or late, sorry, it's not even in the summer, it's in October. Is it feasible, Tantoki, that we won't even be at the biggest global event with <laughs> world cricket?
1: It is very feasible. I mean, at, at the moment, it's hard to tell if we'll directly qualify for the World Cup. That all depends on South Africa. I think they need to win three out of their five remaining ODI games, um, three against England, two against Netherlands you'd imagine they pick up the two wins against Netherlands, which means they just have to win one against England and West Indies will be eliminated from direct contention for the World Cup. So we most probably will head into those qualifiers in June. I mean, it'd be foolish to rule out West Indies completely when you've got Shai Hope, one of the world's leading batsmen, Alzari Joseph, Nicholas Poran. So we do have a chance, but at the same time, it's very realistic. We could lose to the likes of Zimbabwe, Scotland, Ireland in those qualifiers. um, I think it's two out of the 10 teams taking part qualify. So it's going to be very, very tough for all the teams taking part and West Indies are not exempt from that. So I could very, very realistically see a situation where it's twofold mash. We don't qualify for the ODI World Cup and just taking it back to tests. We play Zimbabwe in February, then we play South Africa and India, and that's our tests for the remainder of the year. So feasibly, if we lose those four tests and then we play Australia in January next year, and we'll, we'll most likely lose those two tests again. So we could very well go a whole year without winning a test match on top of not qualifying, on top of not qualifying for the ODI World Cup. Now, I know we titled this, uh, I know we titled this, what, this episode, what does success look like for West Indies, but you have to be realistic, Mash. This time next year, <laughs> it could be even worse for us.
0: <laughs> um. Listen, Um. Uh, okay. And the thing is, actually, it's probably the perfect segue then to say the following because one of the things about what does twenty twenty three look like and success, and we've we kind of hinted at it when we when we were wrapping up twenty twenty two. The reality is, if and when we end up in those OGI World Cup qualifiers, we'll have a new coach presiding over them. That new coach is walking into. Like, they're walking into a fire situation straight away, Santelki, because you've already alluded to it in previous episodes. If West Indies don't make it to the OGI World Cup, if people thought the cuss out for the successive T20 World Cup failures was bad, if we don't make it to an OGI World Cup, I can legitimately see... People around the Caribbean saying, "You know what? Just end this now. End West Indies cricket because it really is a waste of time." Is it? Is that hyperbole? Santokyo, Do you think the cuss-out will reach manic proportions if we actually don't make it to the ODI World Cup?
1: Yeah, I think it will reach unprecedented levels just because of the legacy of that ODI World Cup. I think it still has more of a standing amongst fans than the T Twenty World Cup just because it does happen every four years and it's been going on since the nineteen seventies. I think that has a legacy. And West Indies have never, ever failed to qualify for uh, ODI World Cup. We came close last time to missing out, but we made it. So this will be the first time that happens. I think it'd be unprecedented. And when you factor in, like I said, most probably at that time period, we would have just come off a loss uh, in the test series to South Africa. We, we're struggling in the T20s. I just think it would all combine to create a situation where You know the calls for the death of West Indies uh, as a side, as a team, will probably grow louder throughout the year, and that—that's unfortunate, but realistic as in terms of where we are. But Mash, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back on the other side, let's talk a bit more about sort of coaching appointments and who we think should be leading uh, West Indies into 2023.
0: I'm Jared Kimber and I host two podcasts on 99.94. Red Inca, which is chats on trends and stories within the game with a weekly Q&A where I can be asked about anything from a time-travelling Don Bradman to which cricket ground serves the best food. And Double Century, a look at the historical stories that make cricket what it is today. You can search for either of them in your favourite podcast platform or on the 99.94 DM app.
1: Now, Mash, Phil Simmons, after just over three years at the helm, resigned um, from his position as, as head coach after the Australia Tour. And Andre Coley inter, has been called, named as interim coach. For those who don't know, Andre Coley has been deeply involved in regional cricket with the West Indies Academy, Jamaica regional side for the past 15 years. So he knows the region very, very well. He's been tasked with leading uh, the side for the Zimbabwe and South Africa Tours. But Mash, just looking at that coaching appointment, sort of, What what would you hope to get from Andre Coley? Any new players into the side? Any change in style in terms of how West Indies play? What would you kind of deem as a success for Andre Coley in this role? Bearing in mind, he's an interim coach, but he will no doubt be seeing this as an interview for the permanent position.
0: I mean, I don't see any situation whereby Andre Coley becomes the permanent head coach of, of of the West Indies team, he would have to engineer a 2-0 win in Zimbabwe and a 2-0 win in South Africa, plus win the ODI series versus South, South, South Africa and win the T20 series <laughs> versus South Africa. For him, to, for him to end up as the permanent coach, we'd have to have an unprecedented level of success in, in South Africa, right? Which we haven't even managed to do in the modern era or like in the last 20 years. So it's very unlikely that that Coley ends up as the permanent head coach. It's a weird one because obviously there's been a cuss out with regards to why has he even got the interim position. but people have to remember that the the independent report that was sanctioned after the after we crashed out of the 2022 first round the 2022t20 World Cup in the first round stage that's not been submitted yet. So um Judge Thompson, Brian Lara, Mickey Arthur, they're still in in interviewing all the different stakeholders. They're still trying to unpick what's gone wrong. They're gonna submit their report. They're gonna have a whole heap of recommendations. And I think again, Santok, get something you've said before in the past. Once you submit a report like that, you can't then give an interim coach the job to get on with, I guess, implementing. The suggestions from the report—it's got to be a brand new, fresh coach who then comes into the post off the back of that report. So, in some ways, I almost feel like if I was Andre Coley, I almost feel like it's a weird position Santoki because he—he he must know that there's no chance he's getting the full time job, right? At the same time, there's the West Indian pride to say, well, boy, you know, I want to show that I am a good coach and I can get this team playing and so on and so forth. But we're effectively going into this Zimbabwe tour and South Africa tour, just treading water, you know, like if I use like a business analogy, we're just trying to make sure that we keep the, the, the money ticking over whilst we wait for the, the, the brand new launch of of West Indies cricket, our, uh, like our 10th one or whatever it is that we're on at the moment. Right. So it's a very, it's a very, very peculiar situation um, to, to, to be in. And I think worst case scenario, Santoki is let's say Koli. So let's, let's say we lose in Zimbabwe, which is, which is possible by the way, let's say we lose in Zimbabwe and lose everything in South Africa. <laughs> like, what then? Did, like, Is it just like blanks? Is that is that actually better for the new coach if we just lose everything prior to the new coach coming in? Because then almost the new coach picks up a side where we really are at rock bottom. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think I think you make very pertinent points there, Mash. I think the first thing is it could work in West Indies' advantage that Andre Coley knows, as you said, most likely 99% chance he's not going to be appointed permanent coach. Obviously, there's the small factor of if he manages to pull off uh, miracle wins against South Africa across the formats. So this could work in our favour in terms of he could dramatically change the style or bring in new players into the West Indies squad because he has nothing to lose essentially. He will know if we continue to play as we did um, against Australia use the same players utilise the same players we'll lose against South Africa and might risk losing against Zimbabwe. So in that regard, risk taking for him would benefit him because it would also show he can have his own sort of personal stamp on the team and change things. So that could work in our favor. It'd be interesting to see how he goes in terms of he he's obviously part of the selection panel in terms of if he brings anyone in. You've you've been highly vocal of Brandon King coming into the side. So it'd be interesting to see sort of if he is given room to have his own personal mark on the side. And match one other important thing. We haven't mentioned, you talked about sort of, it seems like we're sort of stagnating until March and then a big reset button's going to be hit after March. That was also partly because cricket West Indies elections will be in March. Now, Ricky Skerritt's coming to the end of his term. You'd expect his vice president, uh, Dr. Kishore Shallow, would stand, but he'll face heavy opposition in the region, especially coming off the performances of West Indies cricket in the last six months. The opposition will have arguments in terms of results, poor performances, which they will heavily rely on in the election. So it is very, things are very finely balanced at the moment in West Indies cricket, depending
0: on sort of who wins that election in March match. Yeah, 100%. I'm really glad you've touched on that. Um, because again, anything, as much as we've titled this, what does success look like for West Indies in 2023? Really, we're talking about just what does look, what does 2023 look like in general, whether it's success or not success. And we cannot forget that the whole Probably from this month, the kind of po- political maneuvering and kind of um, uh, cronyism and trying to win people over and patronage and but trying to buy support and this, that, and the other is going to be hectic for the next two months because the the next president, whoever it may be, I mean, oh, do you know what Santoki? I'm going to put my flag on on the mast. I actually reckon it should be Kishore Shallow, right? Now, maybe people will say, How can you two try and? This is actually me, but <laughs> how, could, how, could you, how can you two endorse anybody? But the reason why I think it should be Kishore Shallow, um, Santoki, if he runs, is because I just don't think you can realistically judge the last four years of West Indies cricket without acknowledging that we had no cricket for two years due to the pandemic. And given the financial global market and its impact on west indies cricket specifically more than anybody else more than anybody else in in the full member nations i just don't see how you can pin all the blame on the current um incumbents uh in office and say well you've messed up west indies cricket because no one ever had to deal with cult- with, with 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 a pandemic before in in a region as financially stressed as 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 the caribbean right so going back to your kind of original point how this all impacts and on the presidential uh, campaign and who ends up with the post because santoki say it's a new president right from an opposing camp to skerrit and shallow They could rip up everything that's happened over the last four years. So as much as it's a reset that we're going to get a new coach in 2023, the whole of West Indies cricket could be reset in 2023 because whichever guy comes in in 2023, they're unlikely to... It's like a change of government in a country. You can't acknowledge what was working before because you want to show people that I'm coming with a fresh set of changes that will really take West Indies cricket forward. So Santoki, we could be... By March 2023, we could be at a literal reset of everything in West Indies cricket again.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're definitely right. I think when you come in, um, when you win a leadership contest as the opposition, as you said, in anything, government, sports, you want to make a statement, make a stamp of authority. So you essentially rip up essentially what's happened before. So there could be big, big changes coming after March. And obviously that's probably why Andre Coley's only been appointed as interim until March, because whoever's the new administration, whether it's Dr. Shallow or... The opposition they'll obviously have their own ideas about who should be head coach going forward so I guess Mash it's, it's, it's an interesting one because a lot of what happens in terms of success and how we perform in West Indies and what happens in our cricket depends on this election happening in two months time so everything like I said is is finally finally balanced but Mash I think we're going to take another break and when we come back let's touch upon the new regional season that's uh, commencing later this month
0: Hi, I'm Nikesh Raghani, commentator and host of the India on 99.94 podcast. Several times each week, my co-host Sarah Waris and I will be bringing you the very best in Indian cricket chat. Whether we're discussing the legend of Julan Goswami... Kl rahul's strike rate the men's t20 death bowling woes or the latest controversy involving the bcci we've got you covered you can listen and subscribe via your usual podcast provider just search for india on 99.94 you can watch us via youtube and you can download the 99.94 app if you love indian cricket then join our conversation
1: Now, we've touched upon international cricket and the administration. I don't think we need to really touch on the T20 performances this year because there's no World Cup. Um, We'll obviously be playing a handful of bilaterals, but you just feel without a World Cup, they're lacking any context. You feel West Indies will be judged this year on our test performances as ever, and also the ODIs this year because of that World Cup and the qualification scenario. Now, Mash, let's let's delve deeper into the regional season. Now, because of COVID, as you mentioned, it's massively hindered sort of what the administration can kind of arrange in the region. You know, it's, it's expensive to travel island to island. Logistically, it's very hard. So recently, last season, our regional season was only five games instead of 10. There was the belief that now that things have kind of gone back to normal, we would go back to the 10-round regional season. However, it's been announced by Cricket West Indies in the past few weeks, we'll stay playing five rounds and there'll be an additional triangular tournament. I think it's called the Headley Weeks tournament, um, which is where essentially the best players get divided up into two teams and and they play games against the West Indies Academy before meeting in a in showdown final. So it's essentially best of the best while also giving the Academy a chance to kind of play against these players in the region in, in their own tournament. Now, MASH, sort of what are your opinions on this season? It's, it's got mixed reviews. A lot of people are saying there are benefits to it in terms of identifying who the best players are in the region and then giving the Academy a chance, while a lot of, a lot of fans are saying there's essentially not enough regional cricket for the side.
0: I, I've... <laughs> Okay, let me. First things first, I would have preferred a ten-round season. I think we all would have done. But again, Santoki, it, again, it all boils down to the global market and the financial reality of cricket within the Caribbean that doesn't affect some of the other four member nations as much as it does the West Indies. I think Santoki, two things have happened here. Out of the back of the pandemic, when Cricket West Indies had to impose. 50% pay cuts and essentially be really creative in how to get cricket back on when there was basically lockdowns and no domestic cricket and so on and so forth. We saw it last year where we only where we only ran a five-round um, d- domestic championship, right? And also we saw how the domestic championship was only held in two countries. I think it was Trinidad and Antigua. I can't remember if it, those were the two that it was held in, right? I actually think what's happened, Santoki, is they've realized, wait a minute, because of the uh, financial logistics of moving people around in the Caribbean. Because again, you have to remember that people outside of the region don't understand how expensive it is to travel in the Caribbean, but within the Caribbean, right? I think Cricket West Indies have looked at this purely financially and said, hold on, the pandemic showed us that A, it's better to just host all of the teams in one or two places only. B, what's. If we have a shortened tournament and host it in only specific places, we don't have to add all of the extra costs of trying to move six teams around the Caribbean. Um, we're waiting on particular airlines to be available. They might not be available and so on and so forth, which therefore means you're limiting when you can host the tournament and so on and so forth. And then see Santoki, we only have six tests a year now for the next four years. Is now, I've had this out with a couple of people. I think you have to think pragmatically, Santoki. If you know now you only have six tests a year, what are you running a 10-round tournament for exactly? Because the financial reality is the money that we're going to now make in West Indies cricket is probably coming off short format cricket. And of course, when India tour in England tour, and England ain't even touring for the next four years. So what are we, knowing that test cricket is losing its primacy and significance for the smaller four member nations what is a 10 round tournament actually benefiting and it's it's, it's it's similar to that argument that you and i have had about someone like a tay shandapal just broken into the west indies test side but he now knows at the age of 26 the maximum number of tests i can play by the end of the the four-year uh, future tours program is 18. santoki so what you, you want a man to play 10 first round games per season, <laughs> per season to play a total of 18 test matches in, 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 a, in a four year period. It just, I think logistically, it doesn't make sense anymore. And then, sorry, and I'll just finish by saying, so I think that's why also they've then said, well, hold on, if there's no real purpose to a long season because we don't play enough test matches, it's better to almost create a graded. Um What am I saying here? A graded selection system. So five rounds. Then we identify who's the best. Best playoff against the best with the academy because we want to nurture the young players, and at least then we'll know who are really the best players in the region. Do you see where I'm coming from?
1: Yeah, I think I think so. I think there's an expectation, a sort of uh, a belief that you know administration should prioritise test cricket, and so you know ten regional games would make sense. But like you said, Mash, our test cricket finishes in July for the year, so essentially. Most of the regional games will happen and we'll only have a two-test series against India coming up. So what would be the point of stretching out the season when you've only got two tests to play for the remainder of the year? Now, it's important to note that uh, Johnny Grave of Cricket West Indies did say that they were looking to sort of have more A-team tours later on in the year. So that would be something which would sort of balance things out by having an A-team tour, which I'd like to see players who, you know, like someone like Atesha Ryan Chandapur, who are in the test setup now? Go back down and play eighteen tours just to get red ball cricket against other sides, and then you can put in emerging players as well. So that would be good to see eighteen tours fill in the second half of the year. But as you said, Mash, I think realistically we only play one free test series. I think that's against England in twenty twenty four. The rest of our series are all two tests. So that means you naturally lack a narrative and sort of uh, a long enough series for players to develop against sides, and you just feel. Once this goes to 2027, 20, we'll probably play less tests than that. So this could essentially be the pattern of, as you said, rightly said, what what is the point of playing 10, 10 regional rounds? I know it's been tradition for us to do that, but that was when we played a lot more tests. With the amount of tests reducing, and more importantly, their importance being reduced, is there a need to play 10 rounds of cricket? That's a massive question, an existential question, which we'll only find out in the coming years. And I think going back to Michelle, going full circle to what we touched upon right at the top of the show, franchise cricket... The South African and UAE league now will cut into the regional season, so I don't think it will massively affect the availability of players this season. Because those those who will play regional cricket will play regional cricket. Those who are playing franchise will. But I think going forward in two three years, you could see emerging players choose to play in those franchise leagues over committing to the regional season. And I think it also puts a puts a full stop on you know the question marks around whether Nicholas Poran or Evan Lewis will ever play a first class season. Because if you're in demand as they are on the franchise circuit, essentially now there's no space in the calendar to even play one game in the regional season because it's all, it's all fully taken up. So I think that advent of more franchise cricket throughout the year has essentially also put a stop on players committed to regional cricket. You know, those guys who can make money in in the white ball arena. So I think everything's sort of coming to a head to sort of reduce not only the importance of test cricket, but also, The regional season is going to be massively hindered going forward. It's never going to change. We're never going to see a reduction in franchise leagues. It will only grow. So you'll see less and less players, and that means less talent, commit to playing regional season in West Indies cricket.
0: Listen, the reality is this for me, St. Hogan, it's a podcast episode in itself. If people didn't, <laughs> it's actually funny, Santoki, 10 years ago when Gail, Bravo, Narain, Russell, Pollard were all doing their thing and people were saying, you lot are mercenaries and this, that, and the other. Listen, fast forward, it's now 2023. Here's my thing, Santoki, everybody in the Caribbean now wants to chase the big bag because the world game has changed. There is no, that we cannot, feasibly look at our region and the players in our region and this goes for the men's game and the women's game because remember santoki there's a women's ipl coming there's a women's psl there's already the women's cpl everybody in our region wants the big bag and the big bag is in short format cricket so cricket west indies and all the smaller boards new zealand and all that lot are gonna have to be even more pragmatic going forward about how to shape international cricket in that in that kind of uh global market culture but listen santoki we we couldn't fit everything in and i i just want to point out to people because we're going to get some comments after this episode saying you lot didn't even talk about women's cricket there's a world cup coming up i know i know people so when we say what does success look like for West Indies in 2023 this was just part one we just because (laughs) we also didn't talk about do you think and i'll let you finish the show but do you think, Santoki, we can get through 2023 without a scandal or a cuss-out <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that ruins West Indies' name? Listen, the big, the big question is, can we get through January without a scandal or a cuss-out <laughs> 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 ruins our name off. Never a dull day in West Indies' cricket. Expect an emergency podcast probably in the next two or three days because something will have inevitably happen. But I think, Mash, let's summarise. So let's, let's answer the question of the title. What does success look like for the West Indies' senior men's team in 2023 for me I'll go first I think a 2-0 win in Zimbabwe um, would would be a success regardless of whether we lose into South Africa or India and then for me the big one is qualifying directly for the 2023 ODI World Cup I think if we can qualify directly whether that be because South Africa are so terrible they don't qualify themselves or whether we go through the qualifiers and finish in that top two I think for me that, is the, that encapsulates what success would look like on the field for West Indies in 2023, qualifying for that ODI World Cup in India in October.
0: Okay, here's my take. Beating Zimbabwe, the South Africa tour, and then when India come in the summer, are full format tours, right? So realistic success in those games means finding a way to win 50% of the games across the formats. So I don't care where the wins come, just find to, finding a way to win 50% of the games across the different formats uh, by the end of those two tours. And then the big one, I think the big, big one success Westin is, and this shows you where our game is at, Santoki, get into the World Cup, just get in there. I don't know, I, I don't care how we get there, whether if it's England doing helping us to beat South Africa, just get into the World Cup will be success, doggy. We can talk about what we actually do at the World Cup later on, but just getting there will be successful in 2023.
1: I think I, I think on that note we've we set the bar in terms of our expectations. So as long as we just as long as we can make it into that main draw for the world cup by any means necessary, we scramble through that's where West Indies that's where West Indies cricket are. But no I think I think for most fans in the region, most stakeholders that's where we'll be judged you know the World Cup is such a big tournament and I think that would represent e- uh, probably even irrespective of the test results if we even if we lose all the tests for 2023 if we make it to the World Cup I think that that will be the biggest thing which our success will will be judged on and, and that, that's going to be we'll find out in the coming months whether that does happen but MASH it's been the first episode of 2023 <sighs> As we said, we never know what's going to happen in West Indies cricket. You get the feeling it's going to be another, another dramatic year. So um, that's it from us here. And I'll leave the final word to you, Mash.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Year, people. Happy New Year, by the way, for all those listening in. Uh, Continue to tune in on West Indies on 99.94 for the remainder of the year. And of course, expect to see the emergency pod within the next 10 days or so, because you know what the take is for West Indies cricket. There's never a quiet day in West Indies cricket. Stay locked in, people. Thanks for listening to West Indies on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at 994DM and at Carib Cricket. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way.